we're able to come in and just push them to that next level. We're in the people industry, not the service industries. It was a process, honestly, because I had never started a company and I never had worked in the beverage industry. I'm Richard Gerhart. I'm Elizabeth Gerhart. You just heard a few snippets from our amazing program. So stay tuned for the whole thing. Want to patent your invention? The chance is near. You've given it heart. Now get it in gear. It's Passage to Profit with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. I'm Richard Gearhart, an intellectual property attorney specializing in patents, trademarks, and copyrights. And I'm Elizabeth Gearhart, not an attorney, but I work at Gearhart Law doing the marketing and I have my own startup. Welcome to Passage to Profit, everybody. The road to entrepreneurship where we talk with entrepreneurs, innovators, and discuss the intellectual property that helps them flourish. We have a very special guest, Jason Azevedo, who is going to be talking to us about American manufacturing, among other topics. I think it's very timely now, considering all the supply chain issues. And then we have two wonderful presenters, Brittany Driscoll with Squeezed Massage. She makes it so easy to get a massage. There's really no excuse anymore. So you want to see what she has. And then Becca Gardner with Naked Lady. It has to do with drinks, but I'm not going to say anymore. But before <laughs> we get to our naked ladies and our other distinguished guests, we are going to IP in the news. Can you just trademark any old word like even the word the? You can, as a matter of fact. How is that even possible? First of all, you have to be Ohio State because Ohio State trademarked the word the, and they are notorious, by the way, for trademarking really kind of simple, stupid stuff. They were in IP in the news a while ago for trademarking the letter O. And it looks like they already trademarked the. So gradually they're working through the whole English language, Webster's Dictionary, and they're going to get every word they possibly can. Does that mean nobody can ever use the word the in a sentence or written or spoken again? You might think so, but the fact is, is you can't. Trademarks are limited to special classifications. And so they only got the word the for use on apparel, sportswear, caps, those kinds of things. So it's a kind of a narrow usage range, I guess, for lack of better word. But in fact, yeah, they can use it for t-shirts or whatever stuff they want. You know, it's not only just Ohio State. There was another company that also tried to trademark the word the. It was Mark Jacobs. They had a little dispute going at the trademark offices (laughs) over who could (laughs) trademark the word the. And I guess they managed to work it out. So now they can both use the word the as a trademark. I think it's time for Richard's Roundtable. Oh, I think it is. So Jason, welcome to the show. What are your thoughts? I got to stand on. There's a point at which trademark something that's special to you or special to your brand. When you start getting into first words that you've learned as a kid, it's starting to get a little bit far in one direction. (laughs) (laughs) Be sort of off the deep end. I kind of wonder if you say the end on a t-shirt, you're using the word the there. Does that mean that they get to stop you from doing that? I just don't even see how they can enforce that. There's so many t-shirts with slogans and names on. Yeah, it would be difficult. Brittany, what are your thoughts on this? Well, I agree. I don't think they'll really be able to enforce it too much, but I personally think it's a lot of fun. You know, I'm a big (laughs) brand person and I always love player lineup introductions in the NFL and the pride that the players have coming from the Ohio State University. So I'm for it. I think it's fun. Right. I mean, it's only a trademark. They're not going to be able to stop people from saying the word the, 
So, you know, why not go with it? Kenya, what are your thoughts? I find it interesting because you said they're trademarking it in the apparel sector, right? So we think it's like niche, but like think of all the apparel companies that are out there or that could be up and coming who may want to use the word the in like a title or a catchphrase or a slogan. Like, I think it's an interesting way to monopolize the market from a brand perspective. Cause if you can limit the use of the, it's a pretty common word. Like you could use it in anything, right? But I think if you prohibit your competition from being able to use it, it could make some things a little sticky for other brands that are out there in the apparel space. I agree. I do think that they're gonna have a hard time stopping people from using it in a phrase. That's gonna be difficult to enforce. And if you wanna have a brand called the why not i mean that i kind of think it's a stupid brand myself but maybe some people think it's cool well let's hear what becca thinks yeah i went through the process of trademarking naked lady and that was incredibly difficult and it's an unusual name but you know i encountered challenges with some major corporations because it was similar to naked n-a-k-e-d And so I would just be curious what went on behind the scenes to get to the point where they actually were awarded that. I I mean, I didn't read through the whole file, but I'm sure it took a while. Well, I want to trademark a couple of words and so people can't use them again. The first one is, um, and the second is, you know, I'm going to trademark those and forbid anybody from using them. It might help everyone. (laughs) Actually, I think she makes a good point, right? certainly would help me. So Jason Azevedo, founder of Manufacturing Revitalization Corporation, also a couple of other companies, Advocate and Mosaic. You have a specialty in the world of manufacturing. I've got a background in taking, building manufacturing plants and taking legacy U.S. manufacturing companies and bringing them into what is going to be the modern era. And really taking that difference between where everybody's stigma is with a factory right now of this kind of Charles Dickens dirt floor grease flying everywhere to what we're seeing like with a Tesla or something like that, that has these beautiful white floors and safety mechanisms among all the machines. So the landscape is drastically changing. If you take even to IP protection right now, all of our plants are badged. So if you're walking into them, you can't get into anything because everything's top secret. And it's one of the beauties about doing business in the US is you get a lot more protections on when you're having yourself manufactured. That's really an interesting point. And a lot of companies keep those as trade secrets. Lots of times they'll patent certain aspects of it. I remember when I was in high school, I worked in a factory and we made large batteries for industrial equipment. And it was a terrible place to work. There were all sorts of chemicals, fumes, dirt and grease everywhere. And now when I see with pictures of the manufacturing plants, I'm like, wow, they have really cleaned things up, which I think is great for the people who are working in those environments. Okay. So we live in New Jersey. If you take the train in from New York, you see this old Westinghouse building that's got like broken out windows. It's horrible. And that's what people think of New Jersey, which is not what it's like where we live. It's nice and real. So is that like the kind of thing you would take a building like that and you would refurbish it and make it into a modern day manufacturing facility? We're doing it more with a company. So we're going into companies that already exist. Usually they're second, third generation companies that the owner is looking for an exit plan, but the legacy of his company and the local community is significantly more important than just the business. So we'll go find these companies that 
usually haven't innovated too much in the last 10 years. They're profitable, they're healthy, they're good, but we were able to come in and just push them to that next level and really get them to look like that Tesla plant that's got all these processes, all these safety mechanisms, clean them up, make them pretty, make the business run better. And then also marry on top what modern products are like. Because a lot of these plants were built with products that were 20 years ago. And if you look at a product from 20 years ago and a product from today, they're drastically different and really getting them to that next level to be able to make those products. When I think of a modern plant, I think of a plant with a lot of automation, a lot of robots and maybe AI, you know, they have these arms that have lasers on them or welders. Is automation now a pretty big deal when you're upgrading the plants? Automation is a very large deal when we go into these plants. But really, it starts at the human level and working on process. You can buy all the coolest robots in the world and every cool machine. And believe me, I love to buy robots and machines and they're fun toys for us. But if you don't start at the human level and really work on what's the process, how do we get things through the building? How do we get people to accept that automation is never here to take your job? It's just here to make your job better. So is that really true, though? How do you justify a statement like that? Because you have mechanical things doing jobs that humans used to do. Take a razor. 20 years ago, you'd have your razor and you'd keep that for six months. Now speed up to now with like a Harry's that's dropping off four a week to you. So we're using eight times as many products, but we have the exact same size workforce to create it. So if you do not add automation, you frankly just can't keep up to current consumption levels. So really it is about that. The other part of it too is I focus on American manufacturing. Adding in automation into an American plant brings in more jobs because it allows you to compete labor to labor anywhere else in the world. So it's a fallacy that automation takes jobs. It actually is what is making jobs. And that's frankly why in the last 10 years, automation has drastically increased. And suddenly you're starting to see a lot of manufacturing jobs come back to the US. It gives us a competitive advantage against anybody else. I think that makes sense. I remember using instrumentation in the chemical industry and every other day there would be a problem that I had to fix. And so even though it was all automated to run, it could not run without human intervention. So I totally understand where you're coming from. So obviously you're working with companies that manufacture product that consumers buy. Can you talk about any examples of how you did this and like who your clients would be if you are looking for new business now? Yeah. So we manufacture basically everything you can think of. I'll give an example. We bought a company years ago when I was still doing this for the private equity firm. I'm just doing it with private assets. We make every control panel for every nuclear reactor on General Electric reactors worldwide. Very complex, high precision. They have to be flawless products. In that exact same plant, we were making children's toys. We like to find this balance of products that are very much on the industrial side and then very much on the consumer side. And then we layer our companies to make them make sense with each other. So we'll own a packaging company and then we'll own a company making the toy. Right now we've got one client that makes a big lighting product. We're doing the packaging for the product. We're doing the actual product itself. And then we're doing all the fulfillment for them too. So we kind of take them soup to nuts through everything. Wow. So if I came to you and I had the prototype, maybe, maybe I had the patent on it and I was starting production on let's say a new pan for cooking or something. Now you say you do manufacturing. Could you take that prototype and help me get the pan into the hands of the consumer? Most certainly. And we actually will even oftentimes start pre-prototypes. So that lighting product, it actually started as a napkin sketch that got into our engineering's hands. Our engineering designed it. 
went through a couple prototype rounds, got it back to the client. They liked it, started using it. Now they've launched it and they're probably on the fourth or fifth iteration. They are fully patent protected. We were the ones who actually developed the initial drawings to put forward for their patent. One of the big things as manufacturing comes back in a massive wave to the US, when products left the US 30 years ago, they were simple. You could be a sheet metal guy and I made sheet metal parts. Products nowadays will have injection molding and, and sheet metal and electronics. They're these complex pieces. So one of our goals is to be able to handle as much of that for our clients as possible, because we know that people don't want to have to build their own supply chain, trying to move products around the U.S. like crazy. What you just described is a huge advantage because a lot of people in the entrepreneurial space now, they're having products designed and made overseas, for example, China, Vietnam. In addition to all the marketing and the finance issues, they have to deal with communication issues, time mm -hmm. differences. You know, quality issues are huge. And then, as you mentioned, IP protection issues. And if you can do the same type of thing in the U.S. economically, that's going to be a huge, huge improvement for the entrepreneurial space because that just takes away so many hurdles. I think what you're doing is absolutely fantastic. We have a client and he had his product on the docks in Jersey in containers and could not get it to his warehouse. And he fought and kicked and screamed. And finally, he did get it to his warehouse, but the frustration level was unbelievable. And you're at the mercy of all of these factors outside of your control. And if you want to go visit the plant, you know, it's in China. And if you wanted to in the last two years, you weren't you allowed couldn't. to. You couldn't, <laughs> right. So. Yeah, I mean, I think if you can get stuff made in America and you can do it for a reasonable price that people will pay, I mean, it doesn't even have to be a reasonable price if you can sell it and people will pay that much for it. I know there's a shoe line that I look at on Zappos that's made in America that's twice as much as other shoes, but they're really great quality. So I do buy them. And I think there are a lot of people like that. The stigma of it's automatically more expensive in the US is just simply not true anymore. This is very old mentality. There's certain things that you can't do in the US cheaper yet. If you want to hand paint little mini figurines and do with all those little man hours, yeah, okay, that, that's still not ready in the US. But if you look at, say, Foxconn, the premier Chinese contract manufacturer, they just teamed up with Fiskars that they're going to be building EV parts in Ohio. So the fallacy of, oh, it's more expensive in the US, but it's worth paying for it, it's actually not true anymore. Now, a lot of brands will use the made in the US to charge more because it's a great marketing line, but it's not automatically true. And that is something that we have to work on pretty consistently of showing people you are going to be able to do it for cheaper in the U.S. in a lot of cases. I'm really curious about what is made in the U.S. mean? Does that mean it's assembled in the U.S.? Does that mean every single part is made in the U.S.? Because now we have all these different parts. So can you describe what made in the USA means? The significant portion of cost and effort must be done in the United States. It is virtually impossible for it to be 100% made from anywhere now, because if you go back to minerals that created the, the plastic, you can't get that far back. But the significant effort and cost must have been in the US, or you can go with a symbol to the United States, and that way you can use global components, but it was put together here, which is what a lot of car companies do. And you're listening to our special guest, Jason Azevedo. More Passage to Profit after this. There's never been a better time to start your own business. The opportunities are infinite and only limited by your imagination and enthusiasm. At Gearheart Law, we believe the most successful companies all have one thing in common. They start with a solid foundation first. Gearheart Law has years of experience protecting entrepreneurs, ideas, and brands 
brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at www.gearheartlaw.com. Our professionals will create a custom strategy designed to fit your needs and your budget. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection, licensed, and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Visit GearHeartLaw.com. Together, we can change the world. Visit G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Now back to Passage to Profit. Once again, Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. And our special guest, Jason Azevedo, bringing manufacturing back to the U.S. and making products for less than you would think. If an entrepreneur has a product that they want to make, what are some of the pitfalls that the entrepreneurs can make when it comes to manufacturing? What things would you warn against? Manufacturing is not a smooth process. You do have to go through iterations to get it to function correctly and to be stable. And your ability to communicate what the point of this product is will be the life or death of it. What tips would you give to other industries to kind of just navigate these times? I feel like a lot of business owners right now feel like things are very uncertain. And I just wanted to see what advice you would recommend. I'll give an anecdote to that one. I started my first company in February of 2007. Right as we got off the ground, here comes the late 2007 and early 2008 crash. And I remember listening to everyone around me going, don't start a business, don't do this. And someone messed up and told me, you're going to lose everything you have. So I took a step back. I was 15 years old starting a manufacturing company. I didn't have anything. So it suddenly clicked that in times like this, make sure that the problems that you're feeling and taking are your own and not somebody else's that are, ah, the supply chain's killing me. Well, is it, or are you just missing a little plastic thing? Like it really, is it the whole supply chain or is it a little plastic part? <laughs> so it just really makes sure that your problems are your own problems and that it's not these other people broadcasting them on you and you start getting weighed down by what every news outlet or everything else is talking about supply chain issues or inflation. Make sure it actually applies to you. <laughs> <laughs> That's a really good point. I know we, we always tell this story, but somebody told Richard when he started Gearheart Law, oh, don't get a website, don't advertise on the internet. <laughs> and he ignored them. <laughs> that was back in 2005 when it- law firms didn't really have websites back right. in that day. And- but speaking of law and websites, I find that I work with a surprising number of clients who don't have contracts with their supplier. Do you recommend contracts or not? Do you think they're a waste of time? It depends what you're in. If what you're buying from somebody is ultra commoditized, a piece of cardboard or a widget. And if you can lock in the pricing at what you consider a good rate that you figures me great, get that in a contract. Southwest Airlines became what they are because they had locked in fuel prices. That was a really good position to have a contract in. The flip side of that is, if you're in something that's super specialty and you may need a supplier that you can swap out easily because what if they're not performing or something like that? Well, that's probably not a good place to have a contract. So if really it's point by point, like with most things in business, you can't just cast the same shadow over everything. You really have to think, does it make sense in this space for me? 
I would make sure whatever contract we have with the vendor, it would always be something you can get out of if you need to, because just for the reason that you mentioned, they may fall behind, they may not have the capacity, whatever it is. And then you go to the further issue of actually trying to enforce a contract in China, which seemed would be like a tremendous waste of time and money in many circumstances. But on the other hand, you may be able to enforce it in the US and there may be times when that's handy, but I've seen it both ways. And I appreciate your opinion on that. What has been your most interesting project to date? Can you talk about that and why that was so interesting for you? In a positive way, a positive project. I said interesting. <laughs> We've done a lot of really interesting, weird things, but there was one specifically that was kind of a pride point for us. This is 2012-ish. There is a toy company that we have figured out can produce their toy cheaper in the US than they can in China. And we were able to convince them of this. I was a cog in the chain on this one. We were doing about 70% of the manufacturing for it. And it took us about a year and a half to develop this in the US, got it all together. They were these like slot cars, but they were reading off of barcodes that were hidden inside of ink. What ends up happening is because we were developing this for a year and a half, I happen to own more slot car track than any person in the world. So, <laughs> and I happen to be Great. in a 70,000 square foot building for that project. <laughs> so one could imagine what I did very quickly. <laughs> so I was a was big slot car guy when I was a kid too, you know? So, oh yeah, we, we had a lot of fun. <laughs> how, how many feet of track did you have? Did you go the whole 70 feet? <laughs> 70,000. Oh yeah. Miles. At one point, I think I had on hand probably 50 miles of this stuff. So <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was one of those programs that you're just like, well, I mean, they're all prototype pieces that are going to go to the trash. Might as well do something with them. I would have loved to see that. <laughs> Too bad you weren't on YouTube at that point. So we are coming to the end of our segment here. And thank you for all the information. It's really great. It's always a pleasure to have somebody who has expertise on the manufacturing side of things, because there's a lot of experts in marketing and sales and all these other things, but it's not very often that we get to hear from somebody who's really got it from the manufacturing perspective. So what is your website? My website is mrca.net. So that is for Manufacturing Revitalization Corporation of America.net, right? Correct. We figured it'd be easier to bring it down to four letters. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we'll be right back with more Passage to Profit right after this. Hi, I'm Lisa Askley's Inventress founder, CEO, and president of Inventing A to Z. I've been inventing products for over 38 years, hundreds of products later and dozens of patents. I help people develop products and put them on the market from concept to fruition. I bring them to some of the top shopping networks in the world, QVC, HSN, Evine Live, and retail stores. Have you ever said to yourself, someone should invent that thing? Well, I say, why not make it you? If you want to know how to develop a product from concept to fruition the right way, contact me, Lisa Askeles, the inventress. Go to inventingatoz.com, inventingatoz.com. Email me, lisa at inventingatoz.com. 
Treat yourself to a day chock full of networking, education, music, shopping, and fun. Go to my website, inventingatoz.com. Passage to Profit continues with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. Really just an amazing discussion with Jason Azevedo, founder of the Manufacturing Revitalization Corporation of America, otherwise known as the MRCA. He had some really fantastic tips and information about manufacturing. I highly recommend if you didn't hear the whole interview, you go check out our podcast, which will be available tomorrow and you can get it wherever your podcasts are found. So it's time to move on to Power Move and spearheading Power Move is Kenya Gibson. Kenya. Excited about Power Move, a story that really touched my heart. We're going to be talking about a gentleman who was on the Food Network shop. He's a celebrity chef called Chef Sammy Davis and his opportunity to create additional opportunities in cooking for kids through a culinary program for at-risk youth. So the Richmond Culinary Opportunity and Other Keystone Skills, it's called Cooks. It's a pilot program that he's created. It's a free eight-week program designed to spark culinary interest in the city's youth. And he's going to be responsible for leading this program. And why it's a power move is he was born to a teenage heroin addict and he lost his father to murder. So he didn't have a very good start and he found passion in the kitchen and cooking is what really saved him from, you know, living a life on the street and potentially getting caught up in other things that were negative. So now he's, you know, been this role model for kids who are at risk and creating these culinary programs. And I just thought that that was a great story and a great way to give back to the community. So we're giving Sammy power move. Wow. That's I'm really an inspiring story, especially anything that involves food. Right. Uh, <laughs> but hearing his background, it even makes that more impressive. So hats off. Kudos to him. Like what force of will and character, right? Mm -hmm. And to use that background to help other people not have yeah. to experience that. So that's wonderful what he's and, doing. And that's the key, helping other people. And speaking mm -hmm. of that, we're on to Fireside. Elizabeth. For those of you who don't know, Fireside is a video directory of small businesses. And I have a whole system with it. I've been talking about having to add things to my patent application. So I did a provisional patent last September. So I have till this September to file my utility patent. She and got make the any patent changes. for free, by the way. I drafted it myself. Well, so, that's still free. <laughs> anyway, but now I'm having a little bit of a problem because my trademark for Fireside Directory is in suspension at the USPTO, United States Patent and Trademark Office, which means they're not saying, yes, you can have it. No, you can't have it. They're saying, oh, we just have to wait and see what a few other people do. So I don't know if I'm going to be able to use the name Fireside Directory or fireside or not for this. So this past weekend, we're sitting around not doing much. So I started trying to think of new names. So I came up with a couple and- But you're not going to tell anybody, I'm, are you? Well, I'm going to tell Kenya because Kenya well, is like- you our can tell Kenya, but I don't say it on the radio. No, I'm not going to. Kenya is like a creative genius. And I know if somebody can help me come up with a new name, it will be Kenya. Oh, I, I couldn't agree more. She's told me. I yes. know things that you don't know. <laughs> And it was free when we did the trademark search. I mean, the name was open, but the trademark office just got really picky with it. I don't know if other people started using it after me or how much of a fight there is for this. But at this point, I haven't done a lot of branding around it because I didn't have the trademark yet. So I can change the name without really hurting myself. Yeah. And I think that's a smart strategy to consider. We'll see what happens. But now we are on to our next presenter. And 
This is really cool. I don't know about the rest of you. I love getting a massage and Brittany Driscoll makes it so easy with squeeze massage. Welcome, Brittany. Tell us all about it. Thank you so much for having me. So squeeze is a new massage concept from the founders of Drybar. I actually worked for Drybar for about four years from 2013 to 2017. If you don't know what Drybar is, it's a blowout bar. Women go to get their hair washed and styled. There's over 150 locations across the country now. And the entire experience is really about creating disruption and making people feel good. And so we all loved getting massages and felt like there was a massive opportunity to disrupt that industry as well. So this is really my first true entrepreneurial venture. Uh, really the way that we view the landscape of the massage industry was on one end of the spectrum, you've got low-end discount chains that have made massage accessible to the masses, but lack a lot from a consumer experience standpoint. And then on the flip side, you have high-end hotels and spas, which are lovely, but unattainable for a regular experience. So we really brought in the sophisticated luxury and feel of the higher end experience at an affordable price point. And our biggest differentiation, aside from a great brand and a more modern feel to the experience is our technology. We've built an app that enables our guests to do everything from book an appointment, set all their personalized preferences through to paying, rating, tipping, and reviewing. So we like to say our guests walk in and flow out. It's a very relaxing <laughs> experience. Um, and we've also added a lot of other components to the experience that exists today and many of the chains that you probably know the names of just to try and make it a little bit better. So things like we have a dedicated guest area in our rooms where you can hang a jacket. We have mints and hair ties. We have phone chargers built in. We have a ready button on the table. So you as the guest, let the therapist know when you're ready for them to re-enter. So there's just a lot of components to our experience that we've really tried to create and make people feel really good. So the way that we are scaling this business, we opened our flagship location in March of 2019. And I always like to say we were open for 11 months before the world had different plans for us. We got, we got a, a, you know, rude awakening there uh, for a year or two. In any case, we're planning on scaling nationally. We've sold over 30 locations to date. So looking to partner with amazing entrepreneurial spirits, people out there who are passionate about the health and wellness industry, who know how to lead teams, uh, who really want to create a great experience in their community. That's great. It's a lot of work to put together a franchise. We like to talk about a franchise as a business in a box. You get to come in, you still get to be your own boss. You're hiring your own team. You are the representative of the brand in your community, but you basically have a paint by number, step by step guide to be able to support you through the entire process, which was really exciting for me because as I mentioned, this is my first true entrepreneurial venture. And I always like to say that it's overwhelming and exhausting, but mostly it's liberating. And so I really loved the idea of creating this same experience that I had for myself, for other people in their community. And then not to mention, of course, massage being such a feel-good experience. There's just a wonderful, it's a wonderful space to, to work in and to be a part of every day. But the way that we went about building our system, we actually designed Squeeze specifically with, we call our franchisees operating partner number 489 in mind. We have the intention of growing this to hundreds of units, and we really challenged ourselves to think about their success and how they would be able to replicate what we were doing. And if we didn't feel that it was going to be easy enough, we really challenged ourselves to do it differently. And what franchising looks like on the franchisor side in supporting our franchisees is just 
tons of documentation, documentation around every operational protocol, support systems and processes for all of the functional areas. So for us, that's real estate, that's project management and construction, that is hiring, training, onboarding your team, that is marketing in your community. And so we essentially have playbooks upon playbooks for each of those functional areas to ensure that our operating partners are supported. And then there's also several things that we do on the back end to offset some of their responsibilities so that they can really focus on just creating a great experience for the guest. Well, I got to say, Brittany, your innovation is amazing. I mean, the call button, it's like, duh, like, why is that not at a doctor's office? That, by Everywhere. The way. I mean, if you can trademark the word, duh, you should patent but, the- but There you go. That's a good, that's a good takeaway. But it sounds like you're truly customer focused more than a lot of these other places are. Like the call button thing to me just says innovation and true customer focus, which I think is going to set you apart from everybody else. It really is true. You're lying there and you're just waiting. <laughs> and when is this massage person going to come in? Are they on the phone? What's going on? <laughs> and if you just have a button to push, I think that would make it much better. Exactly. Right. And as you can imagine too, it's actually very beneficial for our therapists. They've had many awkward moments throughout their career. So they're actually equally grateful <laughs> to have the, the ready button. Uh, yeah. And you know, it's funny when we were at Tribar, we always used to say that we didn't invent blowouts. We certainly didn't invent massage. There's nothing different about the actual massage experience, but we really did challenge ourselves to go about and look at every aspect of the experience and how we could make it more enjoyable and more relaxing. There's a few other components to our business that I think makes it special. One is we do place a ton of emphasis on the customer experience, and that is demonstrated through all of the features that I just mentioned. But massage is a very ingrained behavior in Americans' lives now. And so the demand is not endless, but certainly there's a lot of opportunity to play within the space. But really where I felt like the opportunity was on the business side was the people, our employees. You know, I really am a, I'm passionate about people. I like to say at the end of the day, all we're doing is selling people's time. We're in the people industry, not the service industry. So we place a lot of emphasis around our team culture and prioritizing our people's personal development and just who they are as holistically from a human being standpoint. You know, I always challenge our team. I want our team to feel valued first and foremost for who they are as individuals and then for their contribution to the company. So we place a lot of emphasis around that. And that's what we talk the most about with our operating partners, the candidates who want to franchise is you've got to be really passionate about leading people and caring deeply about creating a strong sense of community. We also have a philanthropic component. So we've partnered with an organization called Canine Companions. And for every membership that we sell, we're helping to provide a day of canine support to a person with a disability. They're the largest provider of service dogs to adult children and veterans in the country free of charge. So in any case, you know, that really is something that we promote both publicly to our guests, our team knows about it. So, you know, everyone kind of feels like they're not only a part of a feel-good experience, but they're also doing good beyond the four walls. That's yeah, excellent. it's a pretty it's yeah. Pretty I just want to give Jason time for a question. Jason, do you have a question or comment? 
I love your point on it's about the people and about the culture internally. The customers are important, but your employees are by far the most important because they're the ones who take care of your customer. Kenya, do you have a comment or question? Yeah, I mean, I think people always like they associate obviously getting a massage with relaxation and that's all great. But sometimes we don't really realize a lot of the health benefits that come through massage therapy. Can you talk a little bit about that for folks who are not as familiar? Absolutely. I mean, the benefits of massage are really endless, reduces inflammation, helps with your sleep, reduces stress, you know, relieves muscle tension. And also there is just a component of human touch. We all need it as human beings and massage can truly be an overwhelmingly therapeutic experience, mind, body, and soul just through the experience of human touch. And so I always like to say that our therapists are helpers and healers. They really are these beautiful people who are able to really make a massive impact in people's lives beyond just the physical. So there really is a direct link to your mental health as well for massage massage and mobility, flexibility. Again, it's really, it really is endless. If you are out there and you don't get regular massages, you should be getting one at least once a month. I try to go at least once a week. It really is game changing for, you know, every aspect of your physical and mental health. So if somebody has a partner and they give each other massages, what's kind of the difference between that and, well, and a real I'm, I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about what happens afterwards. I just assist. like the massage part itself. All of our therapists are licensed. So, you know, they have hundreds of hours of experience, really understanding the anatomy and everything that is required to relieve that tension and really help with all of those benefits that I was just mentioning. So while it's certainly nice to maybe get a back rub at home every now and then there really is no equivalent to coming into a place like squeeze where you have licensed professionals who really understand the body and can help you getting back to feeling like the best version of yourself. You are absolutely right. Full disclosure here. I'm going to let our little <laughs> secret go. Richard and I get massages once a week. Now we were lucky enough to find two young women who come into the house and do it in our basement in the workout room. And I'm addicted. Like I've come to depend on that because it releases so much tension and just stuff from your body. It's amazing. And it's been great for our marriage. Whenever she starts to get a little agitated, I said, well, let's talk about this after the massage. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> well, I also find what's great about massages. It's kind of the, one of the only things that I'm not looking at my phone. You know, you really have to right. put your yeah. phone down and you completely unplug and disconnect. So I, you know, I also think in that sense of the world we all live in today, it really is an escape and a chance to, unplug at least for a little bit if you can. Yeah. And I think somebody that really knows the body, like knows the pressure points and knows like the um, chakra points, they know a lot of that stuff that you don't normally think about because I can tell that my masseuse is doing that for me. She's Absolutely. like going through my chakra. She's finding Like she can tell where I'm holding my stress. And sometimes it hurts a little bit, but it's supposed to because no pain, no gain. But to release that, sometimes you have to dig in, right? Correct. One of the things that I've come to learn is a lot of time neck and upper back pain actually has more to do with our chest than it does our mm. actual back. So it's like, you're thinking, please work on my back, but it's more so just needing to kind of relieve tension in the front of your body. So there's all sorts of nuggets of knowledge that they have to really help relieve pain and stress. And I'm glad to hear that you really vet the people working for you because I did go to one of those big places that give you like certificates and you come every so often and everything. And I got this really young person who was still in school 
school and I'd hurt my ankle and this person made it like 10 times worse, decided, I said, don't mm. touch my ankle, decided they were going to work on it. And so I never went back, but I really did not get the level of massage that I'm getting now from somebody who's really vetted. Absolutely. All of our therapists are licensed and we have a pretty stringent onboarding and interview process just to ensure that we really are getting the best of the best. We're wanting to make this a very iconic brand and a well-known name. We're obviously just getting started, but yes, quality and customer service and care is of the utmost importance to us. Why don't you tell us how people can find you? Squeezemassage.com is our website. If you're interested in franchising, you can just add a forward slash franchising to that. And then also on Instagram, we are just at squeeze. Excellent. Well, thank you very much. Very good service you're providing to the world. Thank you. Better world through massage. Yes. So now we're on to Becca Gardner with Naked Lady. I know you've all been waiting to hear what this Naked Lady is. It's spelled N-K-D-L-D-Y. And please, Becca, tell us all about it. Naked Lady is a line of non-alcoholic distilled spirits made from real spirits. So basically what we do is we source spirits from our partners and we use this process called vacuum distillation to remove the ethanol. So we offer folks a gin, a tequila, and a whiskey that they can use interchangeably with the, you know, quote unquote, real spirit. And we're really trying to give folks more options. I'd say that about 80% of our customers are actually drinkers that just want the ability to incorporate a little bit more moderation into their drinking habits. And yeah, I honestly, I got started on this about two and a half years ago, and I'm hearing a lot of familiar stories just in terms of, you know, the impact of the pandemic and supply chains. So it's been an interesting ride. And we did our first bottling run at the beginning of March this year. I think I had actually just met Brittany at another conference. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, and now we're trying to learn more about our customer. I mean, it's fascinating because I'm a non-drinker. So this came from a place of, you know, personal inspiration, but it's amazing how many folks out there are interested in this product for reasons I hadn't even considered, whether it's that someone's premenopausal, or maybe there's a certain medication that they're on, or Maybe it's about job performance. I've met some different folks that actually just are wanting to cut back so that they can be more effective in what they're working on. But it's a really exciting phase. It's a crazy phase. It truly feels like there's a thousand things happening simultaneously, but very excited about this. Well, congratulations. I mean, how did you come up with the chemistry to make this work? I mean, that sounds like it would be a real challenge. Yes. Yeah, it absolutely was. (laughs) And it was... (laughs) It was a process, honestly, because I had never started a company and I never had worked in the beverage industry. And I'm a strategy consultant by background. I've been working in that industry for about 10 years. And so I honestly just started asking everyone I knew if they knew a scientist. And then I found out that I needed to be much more specific than that. It was this long trail of trying to get to the right person who could actually, I think, wrap their mind around the concept that I was trying to develop because it wasn't someone from the traditional spirits industry. It wasn't created like a typical non-alcoholic product. And so it really took finding someone who had an understanding of both of those spaces who could help me innovate something that kind of sat in between. And it's been a wild ride. I've worked with a lot of different formulators and scientists, but 
I'm really excited because we actually, I think have nailed the flavor profile. There are a lot of new products that are emerging in this space now, but I think because of our process of using real spirits, we actually are able to offer folks the same cocktails they know and love without the alcohol. That's awesome. That's incredible. So Jason, do you have a question or comment? How has your reception been in the beverage industry? I know, I know beverage industry can be a bit clicky. How has that embrace been? Oh man, I'm, I'm out of the bright eyed and bushy tail face. I'll, I'll say that because I think, you know, I spent so much time just incubating this in my own mind during the pandemic and I'm sober. So for me, you know, I knew every single detail about the category, you know, I'd made a thousand decks about it. And I was sure I knew my customer perfectly. I was sure the industry was just going to love me. Most of those things aren't how things turned out. I have noticed though, over the course of the pandemic, what started as a lot of skepticism and even just kind of eye rolling. I moved back to Kentucky from New York to work on this, where I'm from. And, you know, when you tell folks in the bourbon industry that you're removing the alcohol from a spirit, I can tell you that (laughs) they they think you're absolutely insane. But because the pandemic actually really impacted, I think, consumption around alcohol, people started drinking a lot more. On the other side of that, people started wondering what it would look like to cut back. So I think because this category has been growing in the last year, a lot of the traditional players are actually turning their sights to businesses like my own and wanting to get involved even earlier than they might have with other companies. Kenya, do you have a question or comment? I do. I was just, I wanted to talk about the name a little bit because I was afraid <laughs> to Google it on like my work computer. I'm like, I don't know. What <laughs> so I just kind of want to talk about the inspiration, like kind of where the concept for the name came from and the brand. I wanted to name this brand after Amuse because there are so many spirits companies, especially bourbon companies, whiskey companies that are named after either the men who founded them or inspired them. And when I couldn't think of a specific woman, I wanted it to be something more generic. So I used lady, which is the Southern ubiquitous term kind of for a woman. Mm -hmm. And I used naked just to describe, I think my own experience of sobriety, kind of feeling like I am deciding to step into these spaces undisguised. And honestly, it was utterly terrifying, I think, for my first couple of years of getting my training wheels on. And I didn't want other people to have that experience of living a more naked life, but I'd rather be a celebration. Well, it's certainly an attention getting name, right? So <laughs> I I'm making it's... your cocktail with a naked lady. So hang on. Yeah, right? and, <laughs> and I mean, talk about like high in the sky dream. I really think that there's a lot of opportunity to impact the way that we even talk about these types of products. So, you know, mocktail or virgin, a lot of these are emotionally dissuasive. And so my dream would be that we could just use the word naked instead so that you could have your favorite cocktail, whether it was a Manhattan or a Negroni and just have it naked. So it'd be easy and not really bring that much attention to yourself if it wasn't something you were looking for. Where are you selling this now? You can purchase our products on our website at drink naked lady. So that's drink spelled normally than nkdldy.com. We are available at quite a few different bars, restaurants, retail outlets in Louisville, Kentucky. And in the next month, we will be solidifying some deals where we'll have much broader distribution. So hopefully people on the West Coast and Ohio area will be able to buy our product too at retail stores. Is there an age limit for the beverage? They actually require ID to purchase this product if you're going to a spirit store. 
but it is FDA regulated. So it's non-alcoholic. So you can, I suppose you can purchase it online, but we do encourage folks to still use this responsibly. Well, I can see how this could be really useful for bars. Like if somebody's had four old fashions and they want three more, just give them this. Yeah. And I think that's our hope is that we really are able to show bartenders how this can be a useful tool for them to maintain a safer environment, but also to keep making money when people might have otherwise gone home or not come out altogether. How do the flavor profiles compare to the real thing? It's a little trippy, I'll say for folks when they try it, because it tastes like the tequila, the gin, the whiskey that you would expect, but it doesn't have the ethanol burn. So if you're trying it neat, it's all of the flavor without that sharpness. But then when you put it in a cocktail, it's really interchangeable. So it's important to enjoy it in cocktails. We're not at the place where we've been able to master an ethanol burn, but we also don't want to pump these products with too many unnecessary chemicals. Becca Gardner with Drink Naked Lady, and it's drink nkdldy.com. So if you want to cut back on your drinking, but not lose any of the pleasure, this is what you need to have for that. We didn't ask about the calories. Oh, well, five calories a serving. So. Oh, wow. oh wow. Now, now you've got my attention. <laughs> so, the, so the next time you see a skinny person walking around well, with a margarita, they're really drinking this. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, we will be right back. Don't go away yet. We still have the question of the day to wrap up with, get a little bit of knowledge of our panel's personalities. And you are listening to Passage to Profit, Road to Entrepreneurship with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart and our special guest, Jason Azevedo. We'll be right back. What are entrepreneurs' most valuable assets? Their passion and ideas. We can't protect your passion, but we can protect your ideas. Trust Gearheart Law to protect your ideas with premier patent, trademark, and copyright services. There's never been a better time to start your own business. Contact us at GearheartLaw.com. At Gearheart Law, we have years of experience protecting entrepreneurs' ideas and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at Gearheart Law, www.gearheartlaw.com. Don't let the wrong protection strategy ruin your business. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection and are licensed and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Contact Gearheart Law on the web at G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L law.com together we can change the world this ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson now more with richard and elizabeth passage to profit so elizabeth what is the fun question of the week what is your favorite color and why and let's start with jason my favorite color is green if something's green it means it's growing and Aww. I live out in the country. When you start seeing that green come up, you know that there's a new summer coming. So it's always been my favorite. Always will be. Wow. Aww, that's nice. really nice. I, I like green, but for other more cynical reasons. <laughs> Color well, of if that's growing, you're happy too. <laughs> What about you, Brittany? I'm going to say squeeze blue, actually. We have a very specific color. Uh, you know, blue inherently evokes relaxation and calm, but it's also a fresh, fun color. And I think really special. And I'm hoping it kind of catches on as we grow across the country. Great. Excellent. Yeah. And Becca. I was always one of those kids that said I liked all the colors, but I think today I'll say blue. It's also the color I've been most attracted to. And I'm from the bluegrass state. So 
I'm going to say Caribbean green. That's not a real color. It's sort of a location color. But we, you didn't <laughs> say it couldn't be a location no, color. No, I did not. It's just, just like you look out at the ocean and you see that green turning into blue. That's kind of like my favorite color scenario. I've always loved red, but I love blue and my logo is blue and blue outfits look good on me. So red and blue, I love them both. I can't choose. Really? Yeah. Okay. So All right. There. That's that's, that's <laughs> Anybody's just tuning in. Our podcast is out tomorrow. This was a really great show because we learned about bringing manufacturing back to the U.S., which is so important, but also two incredible new companies. So our first person was Jason Azevedo. He is the founder of Manufacturing Revitalization Corporation of America, which is a mouthful, but you can find it at mrca.net. And what he helps you do is manufacture your product in the United States for less or the same as if you went overseas to these countries that have a reputation for being lower priced. They're not anymore. Get it made in the USA. He's found a way to make it affordable in, in the US. I think that's super important. And you can go to his website and find him and reach out to him if you have something that you want to talk to him about. And then we had Brittany Driscoll with Squeeze Massage, S-Q-U-E-E-Z-E massage.com. Just talking about this makes me want a massage. I know. We just had one last night, but she's taken the massage process one step further and really added new innovations to it that I think are really an improvement. And also she's selling franchises. So if you want your own company, definitely look her up at squeezemassage.com. And then we had Becca Gardner with Naked Lady, drink nkdldy.com. Very innovative. It's naked drinks, basically. You can make drinks from a base that is like alcohol, but is not alcoholic, but it's made from the alcoholic base. So it tastes very similar. And when you put it in a drink like a Manhattan, you think you're drinking a real Manhattan. So at our next cocktail party, we should serve this instead of real booze and see if people get drunk anyway. <laughs> You'd be surprised. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> so anyway, we do have some time for some final comments. So Jason, any parting words for our audience before we depart? Yeah. So through the three of us talking today and for the wider group, I want to kind of hit home that every one of these businesses was started in a rough time with the pandemic, with supply chain issues. And look how cool and how awesome people have pulled it off with, whether it be Naked Lady or Squeeze, you guys are building these great companies from a time of turmoil. I really want people to pay attention to that. The world is not nearly as bad as people are trying to convince us it is right now. It's just changing and it's a great time to grow. Absolutely. I love that spirit. Kenya? Yeah, I really just appreciate the fact that we added manufacturing to the conversation today because this is what this country was built on, right? There's a lot of great titans that have come out of America and just back to Jason's point about like building something during a tough time. I just think that that just goes back to the resiliency of this country, right? It was built in tough times. We always survive tough times. And I think it's birthed a lot of great entrepreneurs. And I loved learning about, you know, all the different businesses today. I mean, I love what Brittany's doing, you know, in the massage and the wellness space and, and what you're doing for other people in that space to be able to have ownership is, is super important. And I love how creative Becca has been with her brand and just giving alternate options to folks who, you know, are trying to transition out of drinking, but also want to have a great tasting beverage. So super innovative conversation today. Loved it. 
Thank you, Kenya, the media maven. We appreciate it. Unfortunately, now our time has come to an end and we need to sign off, but we will be back with another Passage to Profit next week at the station. But before we go, I'd like to thank our Passage to Profit team, Noah Fleischman, who is our producer, Alicia Morrissey, who is our program coordinator, and Mark Wilson, who is our syndication expert who is our syndication manager yes (laughs) our podcast can be found anywhere you find your podcast so just look for the passage to profit show and don't forget to like us on facebook instagram and twitter and remember while the information provided in this program is believed to be correct never take a legal step without first contacting your legal professional thanks a lot and we'll be back next week Mm -hmm.